The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Star Trek edition. Stick with us, friends. We're going to get through Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who wants to hear your problems himself, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Release your fears. Say hello, Tom. Please, Captain. Not in front of the Klingons. <laughs> I wanted to start on a high. Possibly the best line of the of the film. Of the and film. one of the one of the only examples of deadpan character based comedy. Yeah. Unfortunately, buried under a deluge of sub three stooges slapstick. Yes. Right. <laughs> Alright. So <laughs> I mean, just right off the bat, we've already we've already done our rankings. We've done our declaring. Yeah. This is at the bottom of our lists. Mm-hmm. Justifiably. The competition for, is strong. For a good reason. Yeah. Uh, but we both officially declared this a good movie. Uh-huh. And this is a... I mentioned to a friend that I officially <laughs> declared this a good movie. And they looked at me like I was... Oh, that's why you have that bruise. Yeah. They looked at me like I was stoned. And I think this speaks to (laughs) the general consensus of this movie, which is... They now call you every day. Yeah, it's it's the laughing (laughs) stock of the series. And I'm not saying without good reason... But I'm saying it's not as bad as everybody, you know, for, I, I, I bet a ton of people that are saying it's bad are people that have never even seen it. And for well, those that seen have it seen long, it, haven't yeah. seen it for a long time. So don't get me wrong. It's replete with bad shit, but there's yeah. enough good in it for me to say this is a perfectly fine movie. Tell you a good word for this film. Yeah. Wonky. Yes feels wonky yeah that is that doesn't mean that that you know the the pieces of wood <laughs> i'm thinking of gene hackman's house in unforgiven it doesn't mean that the, there's anything wrong with the wood it's the carpenter <laughs> <laughs> well um, i mean you've said on. several t- you <laughs> You have stated several times that this movie is like peeking inside of uh, William Shatner's brain, and that that's never a good thing. I don't. I I don't know if I agree with the last part. I think sometimes, sometimes this sometimes this movie benefits from from being inside Shatner's brain. Other times, it 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 it's, it doesn't. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's a it's a wild ride, you know. It's like he makes certain choices that no other director would made make, and that either now works are you or, talking and, about and that, the actual no, that filming or, or story? I'm I'm I, both, I guess. But okay, it's, but it's uh, 
it either works or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it doesn't. That doesn't mean it doesn't work sometimes. Yeah. I just there's some interesting background on this movie that I find really fascinating. Now, who do you think hates Shatner more? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a game show in and of itself, Mike. Yeah, you, exactly. You, you're proposing this as a segment. This is its own. Well, I always show. <laughs> I always took it as welcome to Who Hates Shatner More. <laughs> da, 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 Carry on. <laughs> I I always take took it as a given that Takai hated Shatner the most. No, I, that was never my understanding. You seem to turn me on to Doohan. Doohan definitely more, yeah. That's interesting to me. I think I think Takai has been more guard. Uh, maybe maybe it's it's uh, maybe it's parallel, but I think over the years Takai has been more guarded about it. Mm. Of course, you know, Doohan benefited from dying a bit younger and not having to go to the conventions and various appearances with them all. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause one of the I, things I found interesting I think was it's re- retrospectively Takai has talked more shit about Shatner. Uh, okay. I think Doohan was always just like st- straight down the middle. Straight. I, I do hate not this like, fucking I guy. I do not like this man. Yeah. He is a fat head. That's, <laughs> that, I'm, that's a quote. Well, what I I didn't I didn't I, like doing I didn't read anything about for this yeah. movie, but I specifically like for for the most part I kept reading things that despite the fact that the movie's like a critical and you know maybe minor financial failure, mm. uh, that most people really liked him as a director, and mm. Takai is included in that group. He really enjoyed his experience making this movie with him. Yeah, I don't think he's... A, I, it doesn't strike me as a difficult director. Just occasionally inept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look like anyone's having a bad time on this film at all. Yeah, so, and it's interesting because I think... I think I'm willing to defend Shatner more than you are as a director. Like, there's, 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 there's plenty of silly shit going on here. But when I see... As I watch this movie and I'm watching camera movement... Mm. And seeing shots set up and seeing lighting and see like I'm seeing things that are interesting to me. And it's funny that, you should say that. I do I, I completely agree with you on this point. Okay. Um but here's the so here's the perfect example of of how Shatner's direction runs the gamut of quality. Okay? Yeah. He whenever we're on the bridge of the Enterprise, he likes to have the whole bridge in frame. Mm-hmm. And just do a kind of gentle panning to keep yeah. everyone on screen, which I think is brilliant. I think that's the perfect way. Maybe, I but don't know sometimes becomes... that's also not working. Like he he wanted a joke, a gag, yeah, in which his own daughter takes his camping gear coat mm-hmm. and gives him his fleet jacket. Yeah, and it's like she's supposed to be going around <laughs> finding a place to put this these camping clothes on a hook, but of course yeah. there are none. Right, but but you never even really see that in the shots no. as a gag. It doesn't come across as a gag, and there's lots of things in this movie that seem to be going for a gag that falls short of a gag. Right, and that uh, I have to put at his feet. Yeah, and that's a good example. That's a good example. Uh, my example would be 
that one of those uh, nice shots of the bridge, of panning across the bridge, ends right on a crewman's crotch. <laughs> okay. And I got to think that that's an oversight. I, I don't think that's what he was going for. I Let's think he hope just not. Forgot, he just forgot to cut before you land at the, you know, at the tip of a crewman, of an extra's penis. <laughs> right? Just the tip. <laughs> just the tip. Well, so, before we, I mean, well, that's it. It just, I think that's talking about it now. It's just, it just runs the gamut, you know. He, yeah. But, but I'd rather, I would always rather have a director who takes chances mm-hmm. with the material than not. Well, because, boy, does he take some chances. Because you're always going to get that story wise. You're going to get that slightly surreal quality of that you get with like schlocky bad filmmaking. Mm hmm. That is actually very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, more so than someone who, you know, like <laughs> Joe Johnson, who plays it. Uh, no, not Joe. <laughs> jo- I'm not thinking. I'm thinking of a different Joe. Who's the guy who makes those terrible British movies that everyone seems to go and see? Oh, I was like, do you have a problem with Mighty Joe Young? <laughs> no, you, who's the guy? It's, not, it's Joe. Some it, it, he does all those kind of like movies that old people see in art house cinemas. Like, uh, you could go to an art house cinema and it's wall-to-wall British and it's directed by one guy. I think he did, like, Sense and Sensibility. It's Joe something. Wings of a Dove, whoever that fucking idiot is. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know who you're but they're boring. You know, they're boring. They don't ha- You know, like, Shatner is, you know, for better or worse, he's a... He sees things in a very distinct way. <laughs> sees the world in a very distinct way. And he put that into this film, I really do think. And sometimes it it work, it sometimes it works magnificently, and other times it backfires horribly. Hmm. Which is not to say that there's you know the successes as well as failures. All right, fine. Let's uh, well, well before we gonna, before I'm we get too far, you. yeah, before we get too far down the road, let's, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking Star <laughs> Trek Five: The Final Frontier, uh, the what most people consider the bottom of the barrel of the Star Trek series. Uh, directed by William Shatner, came out in 1989, 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, so harsh. that's, harsh. you know, pe- pe- people drummed this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, having said that, on a budget of 27.8, an opening weekend of 17.3, 52.2 in the USA and the world. Now, this is the low watermark for the series, but it's, yeah. and it's, I know it sounds like it made almost half its movie back, but uh, frequent guest of the show, Matthew Aldrich, reminded me that, don't forget, like, you have to split profits with the theaters that show them. Yeah. That show the movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people ever take that into account. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, despite the fact that it looks like this movie made money, it probably didn't. It was a failure. It could have doomed the series. It could have ended the series. Uh, but it didn't. But important, you know, there's an important context here, which is the that... The series survived William Shatner. But the important context here is Next Generation is on the air. This is the first Star Trek original series movie right. that overlaps with uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. So That's interesting. It's a different playing field. All right. I think, I think if Next Generation would have been a failure, that would have uh, killed the series. Killed the series? Than, yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think this was almost an irrelevance... Uh, and you know, next generation could have failed spectacularly based on its first couple of seasons, but it uh, it, it pulled it off. 
in, got an in audience its last, in its last five. Well, so. William Shatner himself, uh, again, we're talking about a guy who not a ton of directing, but 10 T.J. Hooker episodes, one Kung Fu The Legend Continues episode. Mm-hmm. We've got these things called Tech War, both movie and TV show, a couple episodes. I hope I never find out what Tech War is. And then by all means, look up Groom Lake. Uh, just when you see the poster. <laughs> Don't like the sound of that. <laughs> when you see the poster for Groom Lake, you'll think, yeah, that looks like a Shatner. <laughs> His documentaries are quite good. Mm. I mean, Chaos on the Bridge is, yeah. is good. Um, the Captains is is batshit crazy, but there's some good moments in it. All right. Until until he starts talking about Hillary Clinton, it's great. <laughs> hey, what's your what's your memory of the first time you saw this movie? Uh, on VHS in the the summer of track. Okay, so you didn't see teenager. it in the theater. No, 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 no. I had actually started Slightly working at the. So I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Man Theaters in Rancho Bernardo, yeah, was our local theater. It's now a church. If they only knew how Mike, soiled that ground it was, was. It was always a church. <laughs> it was a church to you and me. Exactly. Uh, I, but I had just this started. Is an atheist film. Remember? I had just started. Yeah, exactly. I just started working at the movie theater, and so. My first viewing of this movie was in pieces on breaks. That kind of helped. And it really didn't help. Like, I mean, I just dismissed the movie as, like, so absurd and so bad. You would have been like, I seem to have fallen asleep. Yeah. Uh, in In a movie theater. So it wasn't until years later that I had, you know, or I don't know about years, but, you know... certainly maybe when it came out on video um, that I finally sat down and had actually watched it all the way through but but it it was it was unlike all the other Star Treks that I I, you know I went I paid I sat in a movie theater and I watched them oh I paid for this movie more than I I would care to just just because (laughs) just because uh, you know like I wanted to get from four to six and it wasn't free and some reason in my head I couldn't I couldn't jump you know I couldn't skip it Gotcha. And that's got to say something about the film, I think. That's got to say something about um, about the fact that it, it, is, it, it, it isn't as skippable as you think it is when you sit down to watch the movies all together. Yeah. Like, you, you, you sort of need to get through it. Um, but, but, I, but I don't resent having to watch it, you know? Okay. Like I, all so right. So, it, it's, yeah. You you were kind of making it sound like that for a moment. I know, but I but that's it. You know, I forked out money specifically to watch this because I felt I couldn't miss it out. So that's got to say something about mm-hmm. the the fact that this movie is better than you might think it is. All right. Well, I I'm you know. I can rem- I have a strong memory of saying things like maybe I just need to catch it at the beginning. I tried to like line up a break. <laughs> where I could watch at least the first twenty worse. minutes, and that be- made it worse. The beginning has even less to do with the rest of the film than the other parts. So, <laughs> and I mean, I just got back from a trip. You know that I go backpacking every summer. I do. And uh, so, seeing these clowns, <laughs> I guess that's the other thing about this movie. There is, there is so much in this movie 
that seems filled with Shatner uh, just smelling himself to a degree that is makes me uncomfortable. So, yeah. like, the idea that this man, this almost 60-year-old man, is ascending El Capitan solo, free solo. Mm-hmm. And if you see the movie Free Solo, based on Annex uh, or Alex uh, Honnold, you, you get an idea of, like, how ridiculous that is. And I remember being in the movie theater and people seeing, you know, a, like, a man climbing rocks yes. without a rope. Unlike what he says in the behind-the-scenes interview, Captain Kirk is... Uh, Captain Kirk may be climbing the mountain, but William Shatner is not. Right. And I can remember being in the theater and people seeing him climbing the mountain and just laughing out loud at how ridiculous it was. That sort of makes me... I don't know why that's making me so sad, because everything you're saying makes total sense as to why that would be laughable, but... Because I'm in love. I just get so much comfort when the <laughs> when the when the the credits disappear. First of all, I think it's quite a sensible move to cut those credits in half by having the uh-huh. second half him climbing El Capitan. Right. Me. So that's that's a smart. Direction. Well, and I also so skipped the fact because we have a cold open. We have an impasse. Oh well, yeah, for this I'll, movie. I'll, we'll, we'll we'll circle back. But I'm just I'm just gonna say that. I don't know if it's the music, which I actually think is fantastic. Uh, James Horner back as, uh-huh. composer, as a composer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just like it's like comfort food. Just hearing that, mu- hearing the credits, seeing the credits dissolve, seeing Shatner on that mountain, just taking the time to watch him climb it with that music. It relaxes me. It's it, that's it's funny. So it makes me sad that people are laughing at that, but. Uh, in I general, delight. I, I, I have to admit, I delight in it now. Right. In when I general, watch it now, it puts a smile it... on my face. But I can remember, I can remember seeing it back when it first came out, and just thinking, "Oh, fucking fuck you! You couldn't really? do that on your best day." He's it's fifty-eight really at nice, the time like of a... this movie, Tom. It's like a, it's a good t- to me. It's like a good title sequence. It just. Like from a TV it, no, show. No, it is that. It, it is just, that. I, th- I just, think you're right about that. It just eases you into the film in yeah. exactly the way you want. Um, but in general, you know, full disclosure here, I think pretty much everything in Yosemite is uh, critic-proof for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, that, that part of the movie, I, I just, I won't accept any criticism of, really. Not even row, 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 not even row, row, row your boat. When he says row eight times and sounds like he's having a stroke. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it to bits. It's a real moment. Anyway. I've never seen, I've never seen or heard of a grown person getting excited to sing row, row, row your boat. Again, I like, I, I, if it was, if this was another scene in another film with another set of actors, I'd probably agree with you. But right. <laughs> I can't bring myself to to That's laugh great. at it. I only ever laugh with it. I can never laugh at it. Only that the Yosemite. Once we're away in the fucking spaces, it's like fucking Looney Tunes. <laughs> but that scene makes total sense sense to. But anyway, let's let's uh, let's circle back because yeah. I could spend conservatively three hours talking about this cold open. <laughs> Me too. Me fucking too. 
first the fact that it's a cold open, yeah. which is familiar for sequels. But not to the series. But not to the series. So we're change we're changing up the language of the films, but we're using the language of sequels to do it. Yeah. Um And how much how much in this opening from a directorial point of view, mm-hmm. how much do you think Shatner's showing off? Well, when you when you throw slow motion into the movie that early, yeah, right. I think you get a good set. It's like it's not a good starting point stylistically. We've got slow motion. We've got uh, we've got close ups. We've got, mm-hmm. but it it just feels like to me that Shatner is it, he. To me, it feels like he's showing his auteurness. Yeah, it's the most Shatner esque moment in a very Shatner esque film. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something in here. But having said that, there are, there are shots that I find interesting too. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Have you seen Thor Love and Thunder? I have. Well, you were struck as I was, how similar the cold open to that film is to this one. I don't think I made a conscious connection. Okay. Upon first seeing it, it mm. looks exactly the same. It's exactly the same setup. The theme, the thematic undertones are exactly the same. No, you're right same. about that. I guess it I also I, it also ends with someone laughing out of context. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I was so struck by it that I thought it must be a reference. And it's just interesting to me that modern day franchise, a modern day franchise uh, fantasy director would pluck from would the pluck final that frontier. So specifically, yeah. But I guess I didn't equate them just because of the bright colors of a Thor: Love and Thunder compared to the desert browns, slow motion winds. But it's the way it starts. Conan, I mean, the it, I I got more Conan vibes. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot, you know, intertextually going on. There's Conan, there's Star Wars. Yeah. There's basically every other science fiction film apart from Star Trek is, right. is referenced in this cold yes. open. Right. Um, <laughs> it's only at the point where Cybok removes his hood and reveals Vulcan ears. Yeah. And then they start talking about a starship that you even realize you're in a Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. If you came in cold, you would not know this was a Star Trek film. Um, so anyway, I just want—I just thought, you know, it's like this movie is looked down upon, and yet I think it's maybe more of an influence to modern day filmmakers than than the, maybe they those filmmakers the, even know. Maybe any of us have uh, <laughs> registered. Uh, when you when you put scare quotes around your place markers. That's making a point, isn't it? That's, quite, that's, that's, that's really sort of like, it's like, okay, an ironic place marker. All right, that's fine. The planet of galactic peace. Um, also, the and planet, you think, you think the planet of the galactic kind of guy peace. Square quotes, right? the, the planet of galactic peace is like a barren desert. That but that's the point. It's irony, know? right? That's why yeah. it's in scare quotes. It's like, the, it would if it was voiceover, it would have been the planet of galactic right. peace. <laughs> Uh, that's what it's doing, and and it's like contrast to the landscape. 
contrast, and that's why they put the scare quotes around it. Um, but what I couldn't figure out, is that a joke? Or is that... Yeah, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> I think it is, because because if you if you go all the way to the, cred- the end credits, God is in scare quotes. Oh, man. So I think it's deliberate. All right. Um, not only do we have a cold open, we have one featuring two complete strangers on a planet we've never heard of. Right, exactly. <laughs> this couldn't be more... I mean, it's a cold open in a hot desert. Right? Yeah. It's literally, it's like, it, it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating beginning to, to the movie. And then we have what is sort of like a, a desert-bound psychotherapy session. So this with, is a big biblical, thing for me. Biblical Christian undertones. Yes. So Cybok is presented as a person with almost magical powers and mind control. Although he keeps saying it's not that, it's not that, no. it's not that. Which is, and it's not. To it be just fair, like, it's what, yeah, yeah, I think he's right. He is yeah. right. It just turns Power out that he's the best psychologist in the universe. Yeah. But I buy that. I By the way, I buy all of that. Do you? I don't. I buy that he is this charismatic religious cult leader. No, that I, I buy. Uh, who is who? Who is sort of using people's pain to control them mentally? I just don't buy that he's Spock's hitherto unheard of black sheep heart brother. That that part of it is the, that that's the part I've always had trouble with. Oh really? It's like it's like Michael Myers. You know, it's like with the sibling thing. It's like I don't buy it. I just it's, uh, it's, it was it was never. You know, never part of the original yeah. design. It's a, it's a wreck. It's a big wreck. It's a recon. But everything about the way the characters played and written, aside from that, everything about everything about the way he's written and played works for me. What doesn't work for me is everybody else's reaction once the moment has happened. Because well, is, it, Vul- is it Vulcans so cathartic that they literally will follow him anywhere? Because Kirk. Well, not Kirk, because Kirk Kirk wants to keep his pain. But Spock yeah. chooses not to. He says, I'm going to stay right here. And we McCoy learned, was ready about... to go. But when he sees his friends, he's like, well, you know what? Better count me out, too. And that we... seems to me to be, you know, if those three had that reaction, wouldn't somebody else, too? Why is everybody just, like, bending at the knee after seeing the worst thing they've ever done in their lives. And you know, I, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's well, not it's enough partly, for me. It's partly what you've said, Shatner smelling himself, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm the only person in the universe who wouldn't fall victim to this. Um, but it's also, I mean, th- this is why he needs to be a Vulcan because of all this kind of psychic mythology mm. that surrounds that species in the canon. And, and, you know, some of that has been established, but this movie will establish it further and then future tv series and movies will establish it even further so i buy that he that's why he needs to be vulcan he just doesn't need to be related to spock okay um yeah i i i, I never anything i've had a, a a problem with at all um okay. that horse is a total ham <laughs> pulling pulling focus from the only other two people in the scene now <laughs> This confirms my theory that that is one of Shatner's rescue horses. Oh yeah, because he has a rescue horse charity, right? And I, I that that the amount that the, horse the number has been of horses by he's William able Shatner to upstage the other actors. Yeah, in the, scene. <laughs> the number of horses he's able to wedge into this movie. Yeah, 
you knew it was directed by Shatner. Speaking of like the first viewing of this of this film, this along with the alien bar scene in Star Trek Three, mm-hmm. this was a scene that always confused me as a kid. And now I and again the I look back scene? and I go, this this cold open and he, and now I look back and I go, yeah, of course, of course it confused me. <laughs> it's not clear what's happening. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think the 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 unprompted maniacal laughter. Yeah, that's that goes the, the into white out as the titles begin. As the titles go, yeah, it's delightful. It's our first hint of some of the crazy choices that this film is going to make. Agreed. I mean, we've had the specter of it in the in the you know use of slow motion in the first few seconds of the film, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is always something you should build up to, I think. Um, <laughs> but I mean, pleasurable. It's pleasurably madcap. I think it's a pleasurably strange choice. It reminds me of like a Fellini movie, like <laughs> Satyricon, where you got you're not even going, what are you? You're not even going, why are they laughing? You're going, what are they laughing at? Yeah, it's that kind of moment. And the way I don't know, there's something very satisfying about how it leads into the titles, as if <laughs> as if something has happened on screen that you've not seen that he's reacting to, right? That's great. And that's why I always had a problem with that as a child. It's like, what does this person want out of this person? And why? And none of that is answered in the scene itself. And it'll no, be another because... 15 minutes before we even go back to this. Yeah. <laughs> and well, the major thing happening in that movie is the man getting his pain taken away. And you won't see how Cybok does that yeah. until you see it with McCoy towards the end of the movie. And, um, you know, it's it's I suppose the other thing is this is death. Each of these movies has tried to define and redefine its relationship to star wars Mm -hmm. and this movie is the most star warsy of the star trek films it's the one that's going for the lucasfilm feel more than than others and this starting as a basically a space western is a you know with talk (laughs) when you're talking about moisture in the desert you're definitely (laughs) leech you're you're going you're going into the uh pun intended well of uh, the of, st- of the original Star Wars, and um, then well, I mean, we've spoken to it, but we have the Yosemite scene, and yeah. then the one thing about let me ask you this because the one thing about it is Kirk's fall, uh huh, which to me shows like clearly at the beginning of the movie the budgetary constraints against their effects because it doesn't look good. But you don't yeah. mind. I, I take it, by the look on your face, you seem to not mind. You just don't care. I don't see it. I love it too much. <laughs> okay, fine. I did note, like, speaking of limitations, it's funny how we can go anywhere we want in space or time, but in regards to Earth, we can never leave California. No, yeah, right. I mean, I've got to say, I'm trying to think of the next time we're on Earth and not in the state of California. I think mm-hmm. it's Deep Space Nine. When they go to New Orleans, which is where Brock, Brock, uh, Brock Peters' uh, restaurant is, Cisco's dad's restaurant is, so that oh, that strikes me as like it's a very California-centric you you know galaxy that we live Always. in. Always, but and you're right, yeah, it's clunky and it's obviously not him, and I don't know, just I just tell you what I really love about this scene, mm-hmm. the reintroduction. Of these three characters, 
Yeah. Like, we first find Kirk climbing the mountain. We find Bones watching him with binoculars muttering Cursing. to himself. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. my God. It, it's, <laughs> it's a more perfect distillation of that character you could not find. Yeah. Not helping. No, no, yeah, that's of course the other, not. The other, <laughs> that's what I love as well. And then Spock arrives with the rocket boots, and I sort of think, God, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have reintroduced these three characters better than that. All right. Um, so. Well, I mean, we're off to a good start. Why don't we take a break? We're through yeah. the credits once again. <laughs> Barely after it. Yeah, we're, we're, no, we're, we're getting better. We've moved, we've, we're on the other side of the, of the titles. There you go. And we had a cold open, remember? Yeah, yeah. So we're exactly. doing very well. We're doing we are very well. Overachieving. All right, we'll take a break then, and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about Star Trek V right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are talking Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. The Frontal Final. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the red-headed stepchild title. of the Star Trek series. Uh, yeah, not at this point, though. We're still at the good part of the yeah. movie. <laughs> We're still at the uh, what I would call the flawless yeah, part of the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, we've noted some, we've noted know, some unnecessary I... slow motion already, but <laughs> nothing that's going to make you go crazy like you will at the end of this movie. It's it's this is this scene is also another argument for how this this movie lives in franchise memory more than people assume or want mm-hmm. because I when I think of Spock I think of him in those rocket boots yeah I don't know if we've ever done that again with with the other actors who played Spock but it seems like I I associate the two yeah but you can definitely see. I will say you can definitely see Shatner is playing the comedy a little hotly. Yes. Like already evidence that the director is not restraining himself. As not at all. He um, is in full mug for most of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is I also intercut. liked while he was wearing his jeans and like his plaid shirt and his camping stuff that his belt buckle yeah. is like. Starfleet logo. <laughs> Did you notice that? 
Yeah, and, and you get it. I mean, uh, until, I don't know, about a qu- the first quarter of this movie, he is he's not Captain Kirk, he's William Shatner. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. He don't, like, he's dressed in, Chat- in William Shatner's clothes. You know, there's no distinction, there's no 23rd century distinction in his wardrobe. Right. Um, which is strange. I get, I kind of get the point they're doing, you know, they're, they're trying to bring these people back to a simpler, more primitive era. And that continues throughout the film, but... Well, see, because he does something, he does the opposite of he do, of what he does with the climb. Because while he's climbing the mountain, he's still looking like he's of the Star yeah. Trek universe, That's but true, a climber. Yeah. And then that goes away when he's got his plaid shirts and his jeans and you think, oh, so they still have jeans, huh? (laughs) An ironic T-shirt. Yes, right, right, Um, right, right. Um, You know, I'd have loved this scene to have just been continuous, but it is intercut with the uh, beginnings of um, the scenes in Paradise City on Nimbus 3. Well, not just that, but on the... I guess recently built Starship Enterprise that doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> and which actually plays to your theory that they didn't have enough time to. Yeah, build that's it. true. <laughs> but we're also learning now. But that's are, not why they are do we it. learning it's... for the first time that two characters appear to be together as a couple? Because for the first and last time. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> it never goes. Never anywhere. goes anywhere I... and never comes up again. Well, I've got. I'm going to start with Paradise City, right. okay? Now, this is post the song Paradise City being released. Yeah, right. So, this is either a major historical coincidence <laughs> or a Guns N' Roses reference in a Star Trek film. <laughs> we, we thought that J.J. Abrams was the first one who did it with Sabotage. I guess not. <laughs> uh, except they don't sing about fucking sparking. Beastie Boys songs. Anyway, um, now this is ma- this is mad shit. Cat table dancer. Yeah. Now, I just got to unpack this for a second, especially okay. since she's so, going to be drowned later. Straight up murdered. <laughs> At the very least, cat slaughter. Um, so the cat species exists in Star Trek canon, but from the animated series. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so Shatner's already pulling from the animated series, the most kid-friendly part of the Star Trek canon, and yet it's a cat stripper. Yeah. So he's he's kind of travestied the kid-friendly part of that <laughs> in bringing this back. So, but it it also it doesn't feel like Star Trek, even though there's precedent in the Star Trek universe. It feels like something from Return of the Jedi. And right. it's too adult. It's too, like... Well, yeah, it's the opposite of Jedi in that sense. <laughs> it's not at all yeah. kid-friendly. Um, So, and in general, it, again, this is like the, the cold open. This looks like any other science fiction franchise but a Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a little bit of Blade Runner, a little bit of sure. Star Wars. David Warner, who yes. will be in rep for the next two films... Uh, in the, you know, it recast as a Klingon, and then later it'll be recast as a Card- uh, Cardassian in Next Generation. 
recently passed, you know, huge, I mean, a major actor in the Star Trek universe. And it seems like this is a far more cynical, noirish depiction of the Federation than we've seen before. Yeah. Something about David Warner sweaty with his cigarette that made me think this is a much less favorable representation of of the, you know, the uh, the ruling elite of of the of the federation yeah um the romulans kind of don't conform to any romulans we've seen before Mm -hmm. or since uh that i don't know that lady looks like no romulan we've seen before or since the klingons are kind of the same but they've softened which is the next generation kind kind of uh revision um There's a TV in the bar, which is all... Whenever you see media in Star Trek, it always fucks things up because they never nailed down what media is in the 23rd right. or, like, 24th century. Like, in Picard, you see there's, like, the Today Show somehow survived. Um, <laughs> in, like... <laughs> in Generations, there's, like, a whole news team covering the new Enterprise. But apart from that, we never really know... And this is, again, I was like, I've already said this about the last film, but this, again, this feels like Star Wars holiday special mm-hmm. territory, right? Well, it does. Like, it's just like, what's the me? you know, what's the media in? There's like a salesman on TV selling things. It's like, what's the media in in here? And it's really fun. Like, this is 89, so we're right in the, you know, the, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. And yet we're talking about the peace process as if it's a joke. Yeah, we're talking about that, and I kind of, I mean, obviously none of this is going to happen until the 90s, but, you know, with Mm. Cybok, I get kind of a Koresh kind of feeling. Definitely. Um, I wrote that down, and then I I looked it up, I was like, it's pretty Yeah, it is. But he's so Koresh. Um, But I thought it was interesting, like, if you compare this this film to the next film and its depiction of the peace process... Mm -hmm. This is like pre. This is like end of the Cold War versus post Cold War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That because we're still because ske- we're still skeptical of the ability for warring powers to to come together, powers to get along. Yeah, um, but that then I'm right. We're circling back once again, and I'm back with you with Scott and the New Enterprise. Uh, on the you know, how many of these movies begin with a faulty Enterprise? First of all. <laughs> right. Um, it does sort of walk back, undermine the final line and moment of the last right. film, because it, it it seems to be a fully functioning enterprise, and presumably like it failed as soon as they got out of like walk, yeah. They show it taking off, drive. yeah, and it seems as though and in the, this movie that Scotty kind of references that because he says, "Whatever the last yeah, line, let's see what, let's she's, see what got. she's got." Yeah. yeah. Well, we found well, out. Well, we didn't found we? out. <laughs> <laughs> we we went three miles and it all fell to shit. And it's it's also interesting, like the variation on, like most like each of these films begin with the crew apart and then they're brought back together mm-hmm. through a mission, whereas here they're not apart and yet they're still forced back together. Right. They're just in different parts of your set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But the film still plays it as if, like, we're getting the band back together. It's like, they were together. The ship is just being worked on. They are the crew of the They're ship. They're just on leave. 
Yeah, no one is being recalled or anything like that. And it's like they um, sent to, you know, they sent Chekhov and, uh, you know, they <laughs> sent Chekhov and Sulu to go find them, but they get lost, right? That's That was my gathering. Oh, I thought they were on leave too, just in a different part of the of the national park. I thought at this point maybe they were being sent to go find the other three. Okay, I thought they were on leave as well, but probably just didn't want to hang out with Shatner. <laughs> um, and yeah, and the, you know we we starting to get a sense of like the the again that deluge of slapstick that's just gonna. That's gonna hang over the film yeah. with Chekhov blowing into the communicator, right. pretending it's the wind. And that's um, what you know, they're they're like that kind of stuff is just happening throughout the movie in a way of like, yeah, you, you know. I imagine as a director that maybe Shatner was constantly saying, "Wait a second, I got an idea. Here's a bit." Well, it's just like nothing. Nothing is allowed to just be what it is without a joke at the end. Uh -huh. of it. You know, like he doesn't even get to do the captain's log because the because machine, the machine breaks down. Records the captain's log break. It's like it's like Chaplin's modern times on that <laughs> shit. Um, but on the flip side, the campfire scene I have here, valuable real estate. Every line, moment, character note is perfect. Uh, I think I love how <laughs> you love Kelly, it. I love how Kelly is a contextual southerner. Yes. In the way that he plays Bones. Like, his southerness only comes out at certain points. When he's making beans. And if you watch the... If you saw the... This is two years ago. If you saw the pilot of Next Generation, when Bones is like 130-something, and he's being escorted through the Enterprise, <laughs> he sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> so, I love the fact that Kelly is like... Mod you know, like he modifies his performance, <laughs> his southernness. Um, it's 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 really yeah. I th I think it's I think it's it's excellent. It feels this is what it feels like to me, and it, this is what it is in my head canon. It feels like the finale scene that the original series never had. Okay. And that's how it works in my mind. However, in this movie, it's like opening yeah, scene right. which doesn't really make any yeah. sense um so again wonky but good stuff really really good stuff um they even make a reference to spock dying yeah which i really like where he sort of says you know like uh i'm not immortal like you i preferred you when you were yeah. dead um so they're calling back to the accidental trilogy mm -hmm. but it never plays into it story-wise. No, right. this is we've moved. We've. I mean, this is the first one where we've moved beyond. Because they're all the all serial. the moments are the moments of you know. Do you want me to hold him, Jim? When, when Kirk says I could, hit I could yeah. hit you or whatever he says, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um. Uh. And we have um on the great Star Trek podcast A A B C D T O S, um. Tom Taylor is always talking about the convention in Star Trek that when you make any analogy, you use two past Earth names and then a made-up space name. 
<laughs> and here we get a classic example of this of this pack up your troubles camp town races moon override yeah seven. right <laughs> and then later later in the film cyborg does the same thing he says your great scientists uh newton einstein the great billabong yeah, right. you know it says like <laughs> i don't know what the third one is but it's something like that um and then they they do the you know the Walton's goodnight joke, which is never not good, especially when it's executed by three actors <laughs> who whose comic timing is as good as that. So, I just think it's great. It, it it doesn't belong here. Maybe it doesn't even belong in this movie, but it's valuable real estate. All right, fine. And in my head, it's the perfect ending to Star Trek: The Original Series. In my head, I also am thinking. You're camping too close to the water. That's illegal. <laughs> it's just like, it's really, really testing your. Yeah. Uh, They're doing everything your, wrong. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I don't put bourbon in beans. I, I also, I also love that. You know, I think it's funny that, and I think this happens fairly often in the series where, the characters are commenting on what the screenplay is doing wrong. You know, somebody says, some, somebody a... says, I want you guys to go check out what's going on on this planet. And they say, this ship doesn't even work. What are you sending us for? Yeah. There's got to be somebody closer. Ah, we need James T. Kirk. It's both, th this part is both good and bad because it, there's a great line in here where Scotty says, you know, where they're saying, but Mr. Scott, you've been working on this for so long. How is the ship not? functional and he's like i think you might have given me too much yeah. time Captain. Yeah. <laughs> which is just we're playing around with the conventions of the series in a really funny way i also like the fact that the reason they want the enterprise is because of the experience of the crew not because it's closest to where the ship's right. going down which is what is the usual reason they get but you're absolutely right like <laughs> the rest of it the rest of it is makes no sense like even with those caveats it doesn't quite uh, and, you know, you feel like it's just an excuse for slapstick. Right. Co everything is comically malfunctioning. Yes. Um, on the ship. Uh, I feel like this movie treats shuttlecrafts the way that the motion picture treats yes. spaceships. Yes. So many shots of shuttlecrafts. The shuttles are, are, are all over the place in this movie. We're watching shuttlecrafts for so long. <laughs> we're watching them land. We're watching them crash. We're watching them yeah. being followed. We're watching them being shot at. Yeah, it's. Uh, I th so th when when they when they're getting on the ship, like I, I, I sort of like it, but it just feels a little bit too casual Friday. Yeah. Well, no the characters really even comment this. on it because the commander that gets on the screen with him yeah i forget what he says but he you know something to the effect why of, the fuck it's something to the effect of why the fuck are you dressed like yeah. that you're a starfleet captain yeah <laughs> he says sorry i was just coming back from shore leave but what i like also yeah. is the shatner it's like it's like the man shatner was still influencing yes, the character shat or character kirk it's just because it's shatner just at shatner at this point mm-hmm because even when he gets kind of dressed down, he puts the Starfleet coat on, but he doesn't button it up or anything. No. He still has his yeah. joke T-shirt on underneath. He's still saying, I'm, uh, I'll listen to what you have to say, but I'm going to wear this. 
it's a really see it's a really fine line especially in star trek where procedure is so important yeah. to the formula that you you i i get the urge to kind of like let's just you know let's just be a bit a bit more informal about you know the procedure on the bridge and you know uh kind of naval hierarchies and stuff like that but that is just the lifeblood of this right. series and when star trek messes with that it tends not to go too well like you know i spent decades thinking you know sometimes i just wish the the actors on star trek would loosen up a little bit not necessarily here but in like deep space nine and voyager it's sort of like, you know, they're really, like, rigid. I wish they'd loosen up. Then I saw Star Trek Discovery and saw what that actually looks like. I'm like, no, go back to being repressed. I don't like this at all. You should not seem like normal people. That is wrong for this. That's great. So there's a little... I mean, they get away with it, but it, it's it's just like... You just get a sense it's like they haven't started filming yeah, yet. Yeah, right. Like, this is behind-the-scenes yes. footage. <laughs> B-roll <laughs> of the Enterprise. Uh... The fact that he can't do the captain's log, like he doesn't get to do it, is. And then I really don't like the. I think they. Go... <laughs> I just when he says I, mi- I miss my old chair. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with the line, but it it almost feels like it's Shatner in Airplane Two. Yeah, right. If I we've gone so far in the direction of self spoofing, and then there's a cutaway to Spock, who cocks his head in a sympathetic motion in a way that is completely wrong for the character. Mm-hmm. And you, you actually, you know, you're seeing in real time, Shatner does not know how to direct Nimoy in the way that Nimoy knows how to direct right. Shatner. <laughs> um, so. Well, and off know, we're going to go. Off we're going to go. And also, you know, after sort of playing down the naval hierarchy of the of the bridge, mm-hmm. we go to that, I don't know what it is, I've never seen it before or since, on the Enterprise, like the the... The old timey steering, steering wheel. wheel. See, every time um, I see that, I try to remember. Which just kind of like throws naval history in your face. I try to remember if we've seen it somewhere before. We haven't been in that room before. It's not in like Khan. I think I don't know. It feels like a Mandela effect. I would swear like I've bit... seen it before. Maybe, 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 but we're there a lot in this film, mm-hmm. and that room doesn't serve any function. No, as far as I can tell. I think, you know, by the time we get to Next Generation, that's a bar. <laughs> and that's where 10 forward is. Um, so, yeah, this, the, all the shuttle fetish. So, um, so they're called to Nimbus 3, the planet of Galactic right. Peace. Oh, meanwhile, we forgot about the Klingons because the Klingons are stirring up some shit again. We got a, we got a young... I always forget about this subplot. Yeah. I have never watched this movie and ever expected the Klingon yeah. subplot. Ever, ever, ever. I see this movie 20 times. <laughs> I forget that there are Klingons in this film. <laughs> Not Cord. I remember Cord. Yeah. Okay? How could you forget? But that there is a there is a B-plot involving the Klingons trying to get their revenge. I, I kind of kind of get their revenge. There's, there's no, it's more like he just wants the challenge of it. Yeah, he's yeah exactly. Yeah. Every time, every time we get the Klingon music mm-hmm. and we see the captain walking, I'm like, I was like, oh yeah, Klingons are in this <laughs> room <laughs> every single time. Which is interesting because while that is very kind of stock Klingon 
villainy, what they're doing. What they're doing with Cord is actually kind of quite interesting. Yeah, I agree. The the way that they talk, you know, there's that kind of mutual respect and sympathy for the Klingons. The way they talk, you know, because when they're going through who the hostages are, they make a point of saying he used to be this great warrior and now he's reduced to like a, you know, like a impotent bureaucrat. Yeah. And that is definitely a shift in perspective towards the Klingons. Being able to see the world from their point of mm -hmm. view. Because Kirk says you had to study his, what, his battle plans, or rather his his, his battle strategy a, as a cadet. An another another Star Trek classic required reading at the yeah. Academy. We hear that a lot. <laughs> Everyone Kirk, in, Kirk or Picard or Cisco encounters uh, in battle were required reading at the Academy. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, we forgot about it because it's very forgettable. Yeah. <laughs> they, sh they shouldn't really be there. They shouldn't really be there. They're an unnecessary addition. So, Although but I have a theory the about this. I have a theory about this yeah. because Cybok himself is such a passive nemesis. He's such a, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's, I think they had to counterbalance. To I, or I felt, I think they felt like they had to counterbalance that portion of the story because they didn't want to change Cyborg from from what he is to something else. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting to see in the progression of villains throughout the past three films that we've seen. Because, you know, we've got we start with Khan, mm -hmm. then we go to Krug Krug, is it? I think Krug? so. Yeah. Um and then, you know, Deliberately, there is no villain in Forge Home except the lady of late twentieth century humanity. That's as close. Yeah. Those whalers are as close to we get as we get to a personified villain in that film. But that was very deliberate. Nemo said, "I don't want to have a villain, yeah. like a personified villain in the film," and it was exactly the right choice. And now we're trying, we're sort of weaning ourselves off that by having an anti-hero like Cyborg. Yeah. Not quite, you know, he doesn't fit into the villain mold, but he's definitely not a hero. How do you feel um, that plays for the movie itself? I like it in the spirit of old Trek, which of like the TV series, which, you know, lest we forget, mm -hmm. the reason Khan wants to take his revenge is because is there to take his revenge in Wrath of Khan is because Shatner let, let him off the hook and um, Kirk let him off the hook yeah. in Space Seed. He was like, go off to your own planet, form your own community. And this feels like the same you know it's sort of like you said there's nothing essentially wrong with what you're doing there's a place for you in the in in this world but you just can't be using these methods and i like that i think it's more interesting i than... actually because whenever i watch this movie i always think cyborg uh is is not enough of a villain and and and, and this shouldn't work as a major villain for a movie, but this movie does make him work. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's a great. I think it always. I think he always pulls it off, and it's and to, and like you said, I th I always find it interesting. I find the dynamic that he finds between his, himself and his adversaries interesting, mm. because even when they work against him, you know he's he doesn't lash out. He's not looking for revenge. He no. he's not going to punish you. He understands why you're doing it and then I, says, I, I can't yeah. have you doing this or, you know, I like, let's do this instead. Why don't you follow me? And this, you know, 
It's interesting. And that's why it's it is interesting, and it's also why it's disappointing that he that he has to be Spock's brother, because that's that kind of ruins the fact that that he's Spock's dark doppelganger, mm-hmm. which is a more interesting road to go down. He's he represents the, and they do say this in the film. He represents the part of Volker, you know, the the everything that they're trying to repress in Vulcan right. culture is embodied in Cyborg. A passionate Vulcan. And that's enough. You don't need to make him Spock's brother. I mean, you want to make him a childhood friend. Fine. Okay, I was going to ask you, did you want him to not know him at all? Or did you, like... I don't think you need, he needs to know could him they have, I think Could it, they have been, I, I could bet... they been on one path and started diverging? Is it like a Dumbledore yeah. and Grindelwald yeah, doc, kind doc, of thing? The Doctor and the Master kind of thing. It could, it could be. I don't think he even has to go... I mean, this is Star Trek. I think they're above... I think they should be above that. It should just be like, you know... This guy is famous because he's the guy yeah, right, right, right. of the Academy and, you know, he, he went off and did his own and thing sort and everyone of, was sort yeah. of like, oh, I kind of wish we'd done that, you know. Um, and that's what he is, but then they have to go and make, in the words of, is it Avril Lavigne, make things complicated <laughs> by, um, by, make, by making it you know, a sibling, which is something that, you know, I think they recognized immediately as a mistake. Um, what do you mean? Not recognized immediately. Well, I think, I think part of the, the response to this movie was that, you know, we introduced a character into canon that we, that, uh, okay. that shouldn't have been there and was never there again. Yeah. Uh, although it didn't stop them from putting another half Spock, half sibling in discovery. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> They're not learning their lessons that much, but that's the part of Cyborg that never jived with you. Jibes with me, but everything else, you know, it, it, I, I, I think it's a really legitimate character, mm-hmm. and I love culturally what he signi- signifies. He just doesn't need to be part of Spock's family, and you know, I know enough about Spock's family now. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know anything about anyone else's family. I know everything about Spock's family. <laughs> I don't need to know about this. You know, this uh, half-brother that we never hear of again. All right, fair enough. But Star Trek, I mean, again, Star Trek loves that shit. It does. Well, uh... Worf has two black sheep brothers. Why don't we take another break? Uh, yeah, sure, I I guess, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right at the fan dance, so I guess... Well, I was going to say, like, we'll take a break because we're going to get back to the fan dance. That's what I was going to say. Excellent. All right, let's do it. Right after I this. could use this pretty hot in here. I could use a fan dance myself. Oh, right <laughs> Suffering for you people. <laughs> we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. 
and so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Here we are, back once again, talking Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, directed by one William Shatner. All right. I mean, we're about to get to some seriously weird shit. Yeah, the invasion of Paradise City is <laughs> is one of the oddest set pieces in any science fiction film. It's craziness. And, and it begins... <laughs> as we've alluded to with uh, a horror uh, a horror's fan dance which is essentially some i mean it feels like a strip tease yeah it's 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 gilda meets the sirens yeah, right. right is that that's the that's what they're going for um i guess my, my biggest question about this it's not to say i don't like it is that does it empower or objectify a middle-aged woman? Like I don't. Know I know the. I know exactly what, what you're saying. What the, yeah. I don't know what the legacy of this is. Uh, you know, do I do I sort of should I celebrate it or right? Not? And it's more than thirty years later, and I still can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and as I was saying off mic, you know, I always thought that this was justifiable because it was a callback to something that happened in the original series, and now I've seen the original series and this is and it did not this this is yeah and i in my head it was that okay so you know i don't think they they should be parading someone like you know an actress like this um in this way but maybe she did it in the 60s and it's a callback Mm -hmm. to that when she was like when she was um younger and you know and it was part of a great moment of the series it's none of that it's a complete yeah. Shatner invention. Um, Having said so, that, she looks great. She looks great. I mean, that's yeah, obviously, and you know, with her just passing as well, I think it. I think it's it's for better or worse, it's part of her legacy as a horror, and it should be celebrated from that. But I also kept uh, wondering because, what was it? Just a couple years before this, you had Dirty Dancing. Like, was it? Was it? I connected to know. that in I, some way of it you know if i was guessing i'd say you know william shatner when he was doing his national service so was in a bar in marrakesh and saw something right. like this and I, I don't know i you know what i mean it's like that's what it feels like um again shatner's yeah. brain this is what we're seeing uh Horseback invasion, horseback invasion of paradise City. shatner wedges and... some more horses in there Get make you know making some some bucks off those rescue mm-hmm. horses, uh, and of course you know you can think forward to generations where I believe Shatner is always yeah, on a horse right. in that film. <laughs> like he's never not on a horse in that film. Uh, and it, but you know that idea of rugged manhood and the the, the western genre is definitely playing into right. what we're seeing here. 
Um, but of course, everything comes with a joke because then Spock says, "Hold your mm-hmm. horse, Captain," and it's like, "Oh, come on, you know, either do the rugged action thing or don't." Or don't. <laughs> and then there's, um, you know, there's bazookas. So they're sort of trying to use the dilapidated state of Nimbus Three to even out the weapons technology, so they have no technological advantage. Right. And they keep doing this throughout the film where, you know, they have to rely on their wits, not technology, which is kind of, I kind of quite like that. I like the idea of it. Uh, I like the idea of it. And it fits with the, you know, the Yosemite getting back to nature and rugged masculinity. So it is a theme in the movie. But it doesn't Um, work as well as this movie as, say, it does in Rocky IV's training. (laughs) No. It also, I think when, you know, I've said that there are moments in this film that feel like, airplane 2 i think when spock death grips the horse that just feels like yeah, blazing saddles absolutely that could have been that's like a space blazing saddles um there's really it's like there's it feels like there's nothing else we can do with the death grip let's have him death right. grip a horse uh and then captain kirk straight up kills a stripper yeah except i don't understand how because really all he does is pick her up and throws her in the water there wasn't anything electrocuting her or anything, right? It just no. feels... It, it seemed as though she fell in the water... Cats can't swim. ...and died. Cats can't swim. I think that is, it is All that right, simple. All right, fine. <laughs> um, uh, but I have here because, you know, and we'll post it when the episodes go up, but there, there is a famous remix on YouTube of behind-the-scene footage of Shatner talking about the filming of Final oh Frontier. God. And the chorus of that is, Captain Kirk is climbing a mountain. Why is he climbing a mountain? <laughs> so my note is, Captain Kirk is killing a stripper. Why is he killing yeah. a stripper? That mountain, that mountain. He wants to make love to the mountain. I kind I mean, it's fair, you know, it's, it's simple. It's not hard to figure out. Right, yeah, no. The, the the hostages have become part yeah. of the cult. It's like it's fine, you know. Like it's it's a decent plot turn. It's no it's no great shakes. You could figure it out if you thought mm-hmm. about it, but you can suspend disbelief, right? I mean, it's I kind of like it. I think it's fine. Um, like I don't have problems. Yeah, with I think it. it. I think it's a, but it's like a it's like a sensible moment in a mad right. sequence, you know. Like. I think that's why it stands out. To well, because it's it's one of those things where you're like, okay, that's storytelling I recognize. Yeah. The tables have turned. Um, speaking of like the the wonkiness of this movie, it just like and again how scenes feel like they're out of order, how they would be in a normal mm-hmm. film. Like we're a third of the way into the film, and here's where we get Kirk fighting another yeah. person. Like this is this is the always at the end of a Star Trek right. film. That he gets the fight. But no, we're doing it a third of the way through the film. And then we have... He goes toe-to-toe with the Klingons a third of the way through the movie. <laughs> right. It's like... We normally save this to the end. It's like, do you know how Star Trek films yeah. work? I mean, it, it's it's like we don't, we don't throw this away in the first third of the movie. Well, and because... I mean, in the guise of the of the narrative, they you know the the rescuers now need to be rescued. They're they they're captive. I guess everybody's yeah. on this shuttle now. Uh, and then once every once the shuttle is heading towards Enterprise, the B story catches up, and the Klingons are there. Right. 
yeah, the, uh, well, yeah, I guess so. But I, I think you know, even the Klingons should don't need to be in this movie right, at all. No, yeah. But even given that they are, we're kind of burning them early, pretty quickly. Yeah. But yeah. all of it is for. Uh, I think this movie thinks that the the uh, Klingons uncloaking and firing their torpedoes at the Enterprise as it takes off into... <laughs> Already tied yeah, cloak. <laughs> Carry on. Well, so. as the Enterprise is going into warp drive, I think this movie thinks that that escape is the Star Trek Three escape from spaceport level... Which, you yeah, know. I guess that would make sense. It's about the same point in the movie, isn't it? I, well, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Um, but but they're not on the same level. But this is our fix of sim- submarine movie. Yeah. Because, but you it's... know, it, they're playing, chick- playing chicken with the shields, which is the classic yeah. sort of submarine commander trying to outwit each submarine commander trying to outwit And honestly, other. I think it could work better just even if the effect of the shuttle itself looked better the effects are it's so, bad. so bad that it's early earlier on in the movie there's a satellite which looks like it's it looked like his mtv satellite in the previous episode it's like canon level if you told me that canon took over for right. this movie just this movie i would believe yes. you and that you know we'll find out exactly why when we get to the credit check um but so, so, but I think it's like I, I don't know. I, the music in this film is generally good, but there, there again, there's some batshit craziness mm-hmm. there as well, because there's a chicken noise on the on the Klingon theme. Oh, I don't did, know did, if you, I clocked you that. This? Like periodically, we get <laughs> like that. Oh yes, you're right. I don't know if this is supposed to be a Klingon war cry, but it just sounds like a rooster. I re- I remember the um, sound now. I'm not sure that I ever. <laughs> Because it's like an alarm, right? It's like, it, yeah, it's like you're glad, you sort of like, you 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 play the Klingons theme and you're like, yeah, I'm getting into that. And then it keeps going. Yeah. Like that, it's like. By the way, it's right that. here in this moment where I have a note that you referenced earlier. My note is rotating dick chair shot. There we go. So, see, you yeah. noticed it too. Yeah. Uh, it pays to cut early. <laughs> um <laughs> It's kind of, I mean, it, it seems to be, we're going back to the Wrath of Khanwell with the, with Cybot being able to hypnotize mind, mind yeah. control. I mean, it does feel know, a little it, retro, but it's in a different way like, and it's. Well, yeah, it's not worms, yeah. but. Uh, but that's what I mean. Like it, it same falls. A, same it, outcome. It all still falls a little short for me that these people would so blindly follow him just because they've released their pain because they've had a, you know. Be, yeah. Fair enough. They've they've had a psychologist do what, you know, in one hour what uh, you know takes years normally. Well, it's not even no, an yeah, hour. It's a is minute. It? I mean, we see it in they they screw themselves because we see it in real time. It takes yeah. seconds. That's the biggest part. I I think it's the time aspects that's hardest to, um, to. Uh, and yet, when they show McCoy's um, past, like it's an affecting scene. That that old uh, guy yes. that they have playing his father is really good, I've and DeForest Kelly's great time. in it. Yeah, 
I mean, here's where we get the reveal that is Spock, Cybok is Spock's yeah. brother, which even the film doesn't have confidence in the validity of its own retcon because the first thing Kirk says is, you made that yeah, up. Right. So it's like we See, already but know that, this is a big That's the problem ass. with the movie, too, is because it's Shatner, not Kirk. Shatner's going for for the mugging. He he wants he wants to be the comedic genius of this movie. Because it's right after that where he, you know, he says, "I need to sit down." And he kind of <laughs> hits the button and sits yeah, on the thing and It's also it's also where where we're placing the comedy because we build a kind of dramatic interest and conflict in the fact that Spock has a chance to kill Cyborg yeah. and he doesn't. And then, you know, Kirk's reaction and Kirk and Bones's reaction to that. But it's kind of buried in this childish comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be playing that. But, but we're, we're not. not. We're, we're playing, playing it for laughs. That's what I mean. Like, well, you started it. Well, mm-hmm. you started it, kind of. Um, and, and also, you know, and then... Because it's you Spock... For, you forget about that. Co- it's Spock yeah. that says... He says, I, I gave you an order to kill him or something like that. And he says, you yeah. gave me an order to kill my brother. Now that's an, an, an mm-hmm. that's an inherently dramatic moment. Yes. But Shatner is playing it for comedy. That whole scene, yeah. he's playing it for comedy. It's already a rocky premise right. as well that he's Cyborg is his brother, so it doesn't help that we're trying to we're trying to cover it with with bad yeah. comedy. Um. What what does kind of jibe for me is. When they say, why didn't you tell us this before? And Spock's, you know, answer is like, you know, I, I wasn't asked yeah. or, you know, well, whatever it is. But that's totally consistent with his character. With his character. But, you know, they're still, they're trying to use that to cover up for the fact this doesn't really mm-hmm. work. It's not a, it's not a good plot turn. Um, I really like the, so uh, here's my, here's my, here's my overall feeling about when this movie works, it's always because it's always for the same reasons. When we focus on the fraternity of the central trio, mm-hmm. this movie yeah. works perfectly yeah. well. If we when we lose that, because when Cybok puts them in jail and then Scotty frees them and then they do their shaft stuff, yeah. uh, and then you know Shy, our Cybok gets them again, and that's when he shows them uh, yeah. Bones' past and all of that, and and Spock's. And the movie, you know, with the Yosemite scene, the movie's told us that this movie is just going to be about these three characters. As a family, essentially. So, yeah. As a family, yeah. As, as a brother, as a family, as yeah. a brotherhood. And the best moment, one of the best moments in this movie for me is is when when they say, you know, we're not splitting up. Yeah. When they're escaping through the turbo shaft. Like, that fraternity... Because yeah. Bones... That is that is the key to right. this film. That's the that's the only time that this film is coherent is when you can glatch on that. Because Bones says, "I'll take the next shuttle or the yeah, next ride." I'll take the next one. They say we're not splitting, and and you know that's that's what that's what I buy into. Absolutely, in I agree with their, you completely. There is um is their dynamic. Um, but I also think so, it's, you know it, there there are good things there are good things in here. Less good is bringing back the Great Barrier, which is another pull from the animated series. And oh, is it? It's again, it's one of those things we've not seen before or since in Star Trek because it doesn't make any right. sense. 
the Great Barrier. Well, also, is, I mean, they're screws so everything. They're everything going else through up. the Great Barrier. They're going to see God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shakari is that what Cybok calls it? What? It, yeah, yeah. What? Whatever God is in, in each, each culture. culture. Uh, yeah. But what I, you know, it's one of those. The Klingons call him Makakakak. Yeah. So he you takes know, he takes the shape of, of a pleasing form to humans, which is an old man with a beard. But he also uh-huh. at one point says, you know, congratulations, you're the first ones to get here. And I thought to myself, and we've already had Kirk reference, so many ships have tried. They've gotten lost. They've never heard from again. <laughs> yes. It seemed relatively easy to get there. Which is why they dispense with the Great Barrier in the first place. Right. Which is why it, it's like that's that's why it's only been used in the animated series, as because the idea that there's a finite point mm-hmm. in the universe goes against, you know, where no man has gone before, going boldly, boldly forward, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It just doesn't jive with it. Um, but yet you're you're absolutely right that uh, to to loop back to what you were saying about the scene where Cybok tries to take away the pain of Bones, Spock, yeah. and Kirk. I think this is fantastic. I think it's beautifully played by all the actors, especially DeForest yes. Kelly. It's a totally plausible emotional backstory for Bones. Absolutely. It does not feel artificial. It feels... It's like, of course that's why this guy yeah. is like he is. Of Absolutely. Of course. Like, it feels like it's always been there. This is the first time you've heard of this, obviously. Um, and... Actually, I think Shatner makes the best directorial choices to make this pure theater. I agree. Like these are one of the moments where I think, oh, like maybe he knows what he's doing. You yeah, certainly like in you, fits you, and you spurts. Take a, you take advantage of them. Uh, you you sort of you you feed into the material by staging it as a piece of theater, as a piece of in-camera theater, and it works fantastically Absolutely. well. Um, and you know the Spock section works really well. It's a little bit clunky. I mean, we kind of know more of this. We know that you know Sarek always disliked him because he had the half-human side. Right. So we 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 know about this, but but again, it fits. It fits with the origin story you already know. So it doesn't. It feels mm-hmm. authentic. Um, it's a bit clunky that. You know, there's an interruption, so Kirk can't. Right. Kirk doesn't have the choice to withhold his pain, which I think is the more interesting way of doing it. Um, but I also think it's interesting but because it's important to keep his pain necessary because we find out in generations that his pain is he never he never married the girl he made the blue eggs and the burnt right. toast. Right. <laughs> I don't think they knew that at this point, but. They probably knew we would explore this somewhere else. You think? Um, a little bit, yeah. Hmm. Um, but even if they didn't, I think the idea that... I don't like how they did it, but I like the idea of like, no, let's keep Kirk an enigma. Let's not... Yeah, let's no, not I like that they kept him an enigma. I also have to wonder about... Because it feels like this... It's like Stallone not wanting to cry at Apollo yeah. Creed's funeral kind of thing. I mean, thing. It, like, yeah. this movie seems to be trying to say something about the psychology of uh, trauma. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't hear that often about Yeah, film, right? But it's true. And, but so, by unburdening yourself, you become kind of free. 
but yeah. which sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But Kirk is advocating for the opposite. I am who yeah. I am because of my pain, because of the bad choices I made, because of this, because of that, and I want to hold on to all of it and put it way down in the that's bottom kinda... of my gut and just... But that's kind of great because, you know, that that is... You know, we don't we don't necessarily have to accept that, but that is certainly that is certainly true. What he's saying is true. I about think it's true, but I think it's interesting Kirk. that with what we know today, in terms of uh, you know whatever it is, any kind of trauma, uh, we know the yeah. damage that that doing that does to yourself. Right, right, but it it's. I like the idea that rather than rather than cre- creating and forcing a backstory on Kirk, which is what they will do on every major Star Trek character from the uh-huh. onwards, they they make his backstory what we've already seen. You know, they just they, this like this this is who I am. You've seen who I am. You've seen what right. I've been through. Like you've watched you've watched it. I mean, we have me, we have enough to build on just from the sequels. With from the sequels and, and from the you know from the three seasons of the yeah, original sure. series and I, I like that they keep it to, to yeah. that. All right. And again, maybe that's my prejudice against not doing that in future Star Trek franchises. But but you're absolutely right. There is a, there is an element of you know the the emotional damage that that causes is not clocked yeah. here at all. And maybe Shatner is not willing to entertain it. Um. Uh. Well, we've already mentioned it, but now we see God. <laughs> <laughs> to me, when they cross the Great Barrier, it looks like children's it does. drawings of space. So it looks like children's drawings, which apparently was all a facade to scare people away. Uh-huh. And then once you get well, once you, when you get through it, you see this what looks like a giant gas planet, but I guess is essentially a uh-huh. big rock. So I, I'm curious well, about it's, that. It's, that's it. They say amazing, and I go, "It's a few rocks," right. and they're not even real yeah. rocks. They're clearly plasterboard. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like a cheap theater set version of what the God Planet. So it like. felt to me like maybe uh, I, you know I can't imagine that they shot this movie uh, in continuity in order, but it felt <laughs> well. Cybox hat has a different haircut. <laughs> He does. He has a different haircut in this scene. So that that really attests there to your you theory. That's the there you go. There's a smoking gun of that theory. Oh my goodness. Um, I I like con in terms of I mean in ex execution it looks very cheap, very artificial. It's hugely underwhelming for what it's supposed yeah. to be. Um, I do like. I like the tone of it. I mean, you know, Roddenberry hated this movie, but. It fits into the atheistic worldview that he imbibed Star Trek with. Mm-hmm. That, that it, See, but I couldn't and, rem- you know, like what is... I kept wondering was how much of this uh, is just Shatner or Shatner with that view in mind, because I just I love the idea of this cyborg sort of you know bending at the knee of like oh wise one oh my goodness thank you allowing us in your presence <laughs> and then of course it's Kirk who says excuse me. Oh, I have a great. question. I, I really, you know, 
I think it get you know we we talked about. I think you've got to see it in the same light as Wrath of Khan is able to sort of slip communist ideology into a Hollywood movie at the height of the Cold mm-hmm. War, and you know we're in the first first Bush administration, yeah. and this movie ends you know with a pretty atheistic viewpoint which is that god is a god is a facade mm-hmm. um and a con artist yeah. you know and it it, it, it and well it's, it's an oz kind of a thing it's yeah yeah pay no attention to the man behind yeah. the curtain and you know it 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 invites at one point the god that... character says i've been trapped here so long mm-hmm. so i mean i'll I, like Ariel in yeah, the Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, you know, even the characters are referencing, this isn't God, this isn't who you were looking for, this is, you know. Yeah. But this it, is just you know, a God, this is just of... somebody looking for a way out. When you look at the time, and even now, I would say, I think it's a big deal to sort of espouse such, because it's anti, anti-theocratic yeah. thinking, to, to put your hand up in a room and go, um... You know, you could substitute. You could substitute what Kirk says for uh, why, if God is all powerful, why did He give children bone mm-hmm. cancer? It's the same thing. Like it's on a milder yeah. scale. He's like, you're telling same, me you don't know thing. my name. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 sort of you know, and and it it speaks to a side of Star Trek which is, if not anti-religious, has always been ambivalent about religious and religion and religious fatis- fan fanaticism we get both sides of it here the fact that they're not willing to completely condemn cyborg as a cult mm-hmm. leader shows that you know there's an ambivalence it's like it's like we understand the place of religion in the world but we think it's a big con because we believe in science right. is that and and that that's a really good place for this movie to to be i just wish that like the facade they were trying to say that this is all a facade I wish it looked like less yeah, of a facade right. because that makes it more, it kind of more impressive. What's also great is, you know, uh, and like the redemption of Cord mm-hmm. in these final scenes. You know, trying to bring Klingons into the story as as allies. Right. I think, and obviously the next film will go to town on that, but. Um, there's a possibility of a peaceful future between warring superpowers here, which again I think sets up the next film. No, yeah, well. I agree with that. Um, but there's so, also parts of it where the head is chasing Kirk, and it, you know, it it feels like a you know South Park in hell, yeah. kind of. You know what I mean? Yeah, like definitely. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, they just did. It just doesn't. It doesn't work visually that those those yeah. sequences at all, and not because they could have found a a a workaround, but because they keep telling you that this is supposed to be so spectacular and it's so and it's so the opposite that, you, that it just yeah you can't buy and whenever into God it. lasers uh, the, you in the chest, I wrote a note that made me laugh. This like oh, so he's just creating smoking jackets for the for the Enterprise because yeah. those. Their, their uniforms are just smoking for like the next 10 minutes yeah. afterwards. You can always see smoke coming from them. But it conceals something which is actually philosophically very interesting. You know, what they, they sort of like, they take the God question and they channel it into philosophical self-reflection, mm-hmm. which is 
what makes Star Trek more interesting than other like science fiction action series is that they're able to do right. And you know, I think we said we both said in the ranking episode, it's like this feels like it's going back to the well of original Star Trek TV series. And this this scene feels like something from that, both good and bad. You know, the cheap sets. But all the cheap sets, but the good writing. <laughs> <laughs> cheap sets and good writing, which is the essence of right. Star, Star Trek: The Original Series, and that's what they've. I don't know whether that. I don't think that using the cheap sets referentially. Mm-hmm. I think it's a failure, but I think the content is definitely trying to channel some of that original Roddenberry uh, philosophy. Yeah. Now, does Cybox um, sacrifice? If you want to call it that, does I mean, is that a satisfying end for him? Never gonna live this down. I say I don't like one sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 he doesn't really need to be redeemed because he's already sort yeah. of. He's not done anything that needs redeeming, right? I mean, well, that's the thing. Like, a, he's such a. It's like we don't like your method. We like you. We just don't. Yeah, like he's your such method. a passive villain that it uh, it doesn't yeah. rise to that level, does it? Of necessity, no, I mean. But I mean, I, I guess it sort of makes sense, you know, that that you, he's basically he's been conned by this right. guy. But he, not even that guy and specifically. It, it was just the idea. You know. Yeah. And it's like it's it, you know it's funny because we're talking here about religion and he kind of represents religion in a way. Yeah, what the, it's what Vulcans turned their back on, wasn't it? Like faith and yeah. mysticism. Uh, in the, in many ways, this is the answer to Star Trek Three. You know, it's sort of like that. You know, it was we were very much a, had a pro faith agenda, and this is a this is more of an yeah. anti faith agenda. This is saying this is saying be be, be critical, question your religious yeah. leaders, um, which I think is great. You know, a, a fan, that's more. I'm of a, fine with that message. Interesting yeah, message. <laughs> I'm fine with that message, and you know, it is. It, it's more about it's about being able to question and saying like you know, we're allowed to to probe this. We don't live in a theocracy. Right. Uh, you know, and he, even today, there is a, the plenty of Americans who would want, who apparently want to live in mm-hmm. a theocracy. So, it's a not, it's a, it's a very relevant uh, debate. Uh, even today, I don't think they knew it would yeah. be, but um, we go back to the campfire. We sure do. Uh, <laughs> and we gave uh, no play to marshmallows, by the way. Marshmallows, yeah. But- So, what did Big Marshmallow I don't know. say? You can't say Marshmallow. I don't know how that happened. Um, I like the idea that he just said he just spot got it wrong, and no one has the heart yeah. to tell him. <laughs> but that doesn't work because Bones would be the first person right. to tell him. Bones would tell him before he even finished saying it. <laughs> I, I love I I love that it ends with uh, Shatner and Nimoy both mm-hmm. singing. Like he's <laughs> like yeah. They they're both hit recording artists, <laughs> so of course they would end the film with them singing. <sighs> and then we get like the most Star Warsy moment of the franchise, we where do. it pans into space, yes. like the ending of Return of the Jedi. 
Yeah, um, it feels very I Jedi. I expected to see the Death Star up there. Uh, so... Yeah, I don't know why we go back to the campfire, particularly, but... Uh, I just think he wants to bookend. I think... Yeah, I think he wants to bookend. It's in the wrong place anyway, who cares? so... Who cares? <laughs> uh, but I really like everything that happens. You know, I really like when, they, when they're, you know... When we have this, again, this sort of happy ending mm-hmm. on the Enterprise. I really like how that goes down. Yeah, because they're having a party. We're drinking with... We're drinking yeah. with Klingons, you know, we're moving on. Um, and, and you're right, what you said before, I mean, it does set up the next movie. It does, um, you know, which, again, this would be thought of as an anomaly and an outlier, and in many ways it is. In other ways, I think it's it's right where it needs to be in the, in mm-hmm. the series. Uh, that's all I had, amazingly. Well, uh, what about a credit check? Okay. Um, I've covered some of this. Yeah, there are so many stunt performers and doubles. Nobody did anything <laughs> that you see that that is in any way physical. <laughs> nobody. Is oh, doing I bet anything. you Shatner was on a horse or two. <laughs> definitely wasn't climbing a mountain. No, yeah, definitely not. But Shat- Shatner was probably wrapped up in all the Cybox robes for that cold open. Yeah, most likely. Before he gave the he gave the direction to the horse to steal yeah, the scene exactly. from the two actors. Uh, so there's one person in charge of visual effects instead of a large brand name. That company. sounds about right. Bran Ferren <laughs> is the person credited. First of all, when you credit one person with that the sounds effects, like a teenage vampire. Yeah, Bran Ferren <laughs> sounds like a. Oh, didn't yeah. Later on in his career, Shatner would uh, advertise all brands. So hmm. there we go. So the, at one point, going back to the sort of self-spoofing uh, aspects of mm-hmm. these films, there's a there's a credit that could have been straight out of a Naked Gun. <laughs> it says highest descender fall recorded in the United States. <laughs> Ken Bates. <laughs> I think if there was a Twitter account called Unintentional Naked Gun, that could go right in there. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Um, they wrote a song specifically for the fan dance. Oh, really? It's just so much effort to go to for this this this, this one bit. bit. Yeah. What was like, it called? And it really is a placeholder, right? We need to do something yeah, that, to distract yeah, yeah, absolutely. the guards. Could literally be anything. They wrote a song for it. They dressed up a horror. I mean, it's kind of become iconic. You, you always have to ask yourself when that scene comes wasn't. up, like, where did they get the lights? Where'd she get that outfit? Where where were all well, the feathers? Well, we, you know, Star Wars fandom does the same things. It goes, oh, they replicated it before they remember that they don't have replicators yet. Craft <laughs> um, designs the... Marshmallow dispenser. Craft is in like craft cheese slices. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Levi Strauss provided all the casual dem- of course denim wear. So, if you're wondering why Shatner's wearing jeans on the bridge of the Enterprise, <laughs> and why why we have a an electronic dispenser for marshmallows, melon marshmallows. Only one came out of that thing. 
uh, that's why product all placement. Right. Simple as that. Um, and that's all I have. All right. Well, that was a quick one. It felt like it, we covered a lot of it already. God in square, yeah, square right. quotes. Um, but that's that's uh, well, that's all I have. I don't know if we've got to the. I was just gonna say, I'm not sure. We, I'm not sure we... if our discussion would convince people enough. Because I think we both said that it's you know it's right on the razor's edge, right? Like it's a fifty-fifty, and I'm falling on the side yeah. of good by fifty point one percent. <laughs> but barely it yeah it's it's good it's good in patches mm-hmm. but the i think i think that the patches are enough to call it a good movie and uh, yeah and i guess i i guess going i it, my one takeaway from just doing this episode and rewatching the film is if you if you if you watch it with that with the through line of i'm following the central trio through this film mm-hmm. And you just kind of follow them, almost like tunnel vision. It does have a through. Yeah. It does have a through line. It does have a. It does a consistency about that that the rest of the film simply doesn't have. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll agree with that. And you you can definitely latch onto the three of them and how and and what happens to them in the film. Because uh, they have an arc together. You... Yeah. Exactly, and convince yourself that it's a good movie. All right. Well, you're going to have to tell us what you think, ladies and gentlemen. How do you feel about The Final Frontier? Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. You know who he is. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next time, I'm very excited. We're going to be off to the undiscovered country. So, thank God. <laughs> we get to finish. Sorry, thank yeah, God. Yeah, we get to finish well. Uh, all right. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. What does God need with a starship? <laughs> it's a good question. And a good line. Yeah, by the way, I feel like this line is this line is mocked, and I don't understand why. You 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 are giving the line reading a classic Shatner overacting kind of shading yes. that you. If sim- not in this movie, then where? <laughs> okay, fine. I'm just saying you're jumping all over me at the beginning of this series about what a good actor he is. Well, I am not a good actor, so... I'm just saying, he has moments. He has moments, that's all. He, he, he certainly does, yeah. All right. He's got his... As an actor, he has his eye off the ball in this film. Okay, I, think I, I agree with that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.